the senior pastor of Abundant Life Christian Fellowship, Pastor Brian LaRitz is a very humble man. When asked about why he pastors this church specifically, he said, Listen, I know where I'm at. I pastor in Silicon Valley. Very accomplished people in my church. This is not some backwoods, unsophisticated country place. Pastor Brian is also an extremely humble author. When asked why his most recent book is selling so well, he said, This book is no ordinary book. Everything you need is found right in there. It's in there. But why should we spend our hard-earned money on your book, Pastor Brian? Shoot, I live in the Bay Area where a fixer-upper is about $50 million, okay? Some of y'all are wondering if you can laugh at that. I'll let that awkward moment just hang. Pastor Brian humbly joined us on the Daniel Fest and was recently asked what he thought of his dinner. Ma'am, I got to tell you, these, these peanuts, they were indeed off the chain. When asked his opinion on the human race's greatest accomplishment, he said, I love the karate kid, Ralph Macchio. And when he was asked who the best preacher at Saturated was going to be this year, he humbly said, Hey, hey, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. Please welcome the most humble man preaching tonight, Pastor Brian Loritz. seated please be seated I don't even know what to do with that like I've spoken everywhere and like that's like that's never happened to me before so amazing amazing you editing people have a PhD in deceit Uh, so what a joy it is to be here with you all I have looked forward to this for quite some time hate that I'm gonna miss my dad uh, tomorrow although I am thankful that I am before him uh, all my life, I've been his opening act. Uh, I've been his vanilla, vanilla ice to his Michael Jackson, whatever you want to call it. So that's kind of outdated. I need to update that analogy. Some of y'all like vanilla ice. I have no idea who he is. <laughs> Anyways, um, what a joy it is to be here. Met Joby several years ago. I've heard many great things about him. I knew he was a man of God because we both love the Georgia Bulldogs. <laughs> There's an anointing over here. So don't worry, Gators and Florida State people. Y'all are people of character. Suffering brings about character. And uh, that's what's happening with you now. Hey, if you've got your Bibles, meet me in Hosea chapter 3. Whether in this room or across the other campuses, we're going to hang out together in Hosea chapter 3. As I was praying about what I should share with you, um, the Lord just gave me this word. Uh, and it's tucked away in Hosea chapter 3. I want to read to you the whole chapter. Calm down, it's just five verses. Hosea chapter 3, pick me up in verse 1. Hosea writes, And the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man, and is, not used to be, is, not was, is an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins, so 
underline verse 2, I bought her, watch the detail now, for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. For the children of Israel, verse 4, shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. Oh, I just noticed a little ticker on me. 36 minutes and 44, 43 Y'all got a timer on a chocolate preacher, boy, I tell you. All right, come on, the Holy Ghost only got 36 minutes, let's pray. Father, we bless you in this place today. We thank you, Lord God. Thank you for the great work that's happening in this section of your vineyard, for the lives that are being saved, for the lives that are being changed and strengthened and renewed. Thank you for the leadership, for the vision. God, we pray that greater is still ahead, that there would be a greatest, greater harvest, Lord God, of people who will come to faith in you. Now, Lord God, would you speak a word to your people tonight? You have not promised to bless the words of a middle-aged man, but you have promised to bless your timeless, eternal word. In fact, your word says... I'm just giving it back to you. These aren't the words of a prosperity preacher. You say in your word that your word will not return void. So I just throw it out there. And I pray, Lord God, that the seed of your word would fall on good ground. That it would take root. That it would bear much fruit. As my grandmama used to say, God, put shoe leather on your word tonight. Make it plain. Make it practical. Show us how to walk in it. As the old African-American preachers say, Lord God, would you stand in my body, think with my mind, speak with my tongue those things you'd have us know, say, and do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If I was with my father, as he's going to be here tomorrow evening, one of the things I always say to my dad, it's a, it's a verse that I actually think every child should be able to say to their father, just on recall, it's Proverbs 13.22. Whenever I'm with the old man, I quote Proverbs 13.22. I've got it on speed dial. It says, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. <laughs> Whenever I'm with Dr. Crawford Loritz, I always say that, true story, and I'll go, Dad, are you a good man? We were at the Cheesecake Factory, not too far from his house there on the north side of Atlanta a couple years ago. I quote to him Proverbs 13, 22, a good man leaves inheritance to his children's children. I say, Dad, are you a good man? He goes, true story, he goes, funny you should bring that up. I've just made some changes to the will. <laughs> Talk about a record-scratching moment. Everything stops. My ears perk up. I say, pray tell, what changes have you made to the will? 
Here we are on the north side of Atlanta. My dad says to me, son, it's interesting. I sit down with my lawyer, and my lawyer says, Dr. Loritz, I see you've got four kids. Three of them are biological. One of them are adopted. I'm excited to uh, go through this process of making some amendments to your will. But you should understand, before we set out, that Georgia state law stipulates that at any given moment, you can write out of, edit out of your will, your biological kids, but Georgia state law also stipulates that at no given moment can you ever edit out that adopted child, your adopted child is secure. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says, you need to know what happened to you when you got saved. You were adopted into the family of God. For so many years in my theological naivete, I thought that that adoption was second class citizenship. When right on the heels of that, Paul then says, you are at the same time sealed with the precious Holy Spirit. So that, theologically speaking, adoption is not second-class citizenship, it is first-rate security. That when God saved you, not by your good merits, but by His grace, sealed, eternally secure, You're his, and none can pluck you out of his hand. It was the great Robert Smith Jr., that great African-American homiletics professor there at Beeson Divinity School. He says, every New Testament point has an Old Testament picture. Well, I've been trying to just work and explain to you the glorious riches of the gospel and honing in on this idea of being adopted. The astounding picture of that, the seminal picture of that is found in the book of Hosea. When we come to Hosea, God is ticked off. Here is God. He's peering over the balcony of heaven, and he does not like what he sees. He calls Hosea in for a closed-door meeting. And he says to Hosea, Hosea, I've got a problem on my hand. Here I am, Hosea. I have entered into, watch it now, covenant with Israel, not contract. Contracts are performance-oriented. Contracts are quid pro quo. Contracts are transactional. You do your part. If I like how you perform, there's bonuses that set aside for you. Some of you all are in sales. If you kill it one quarter, man, the bonus is coming. Uh, You're going on that great trip that the company's paying for. They're giving you the awards, but don't let a couple of bad quarters go by, and you may be looking for a job because contracts are what happens in the maritime You are valued not for who you are, but for what you produce. So here's God. He's saying, I've entered into not contract. I've entered into covenant. I've saved my people by their grace, by my grace. What is God saying? God is saying, my problem is is that I have married, entered into covenant, Hebrew word has said, with a serial adulterer. My bride Israel, his words, not mine, they keep on whoring after other gods. 
In fact, you need to understand, every time we sin, we commit spiritual adultery. The essence of sin is me saying, God, I am not going to turn to you as my ultimate source of identity. I am going to turn to other things to try to find fulfillment. That is why what Tim Keller said is so good that an idol is anything, even good things that have become ultimate things. So for some of us, our kids are our idol. We place on our kids the crushing weight of deity. We go to their sports games and we freak out and yell at the refs and yell at the kids. And I just want to tell you what I tell my church all the time, calm down, your kid ain't going pro. (laughs) And I can say that with confidence because they've got your genes. (laughs) You can please email me if you have a problem with that at Pastor Joe at. Money can be an idol, where instead of turning to God for fulfillment, it's all about what I've got in my bank accounts. Beauty can be an idol, where my sense of identity is staring back at me in the mirror, and you should know beauty is a depreciating commodity. (laughs) An idol is anything, even good things that have become ultimate things. And when we turn away from God to the idols of this world, we commit spiritual adultery. And yet here is God. God is saying, Hosea, my real problem, though, is not that my bride is cheating on me and giving me biblical reason to turn my back on her. My real problem is that in my holiness, I cannot abandon her. So Hosea, I need to show my people Israel that I've got more mercy than they've got mess. I need to show my people Israel that there is no expiration date on my grace. I need to show my people, Israel, that as far as the east is from the west is as far as I have removed their sins. So Hosea's like, all right, God, what do you want me to do? You want me to preach a sermon? Nah, not yet. God, you want me to write a book? Ah, that'll come later. Hosea, I see you just graduated from seminary and you got the MDiv degree, got called to pastor your first church. I see that you're single and I know you're feeling a little bit awkward about pastoring your first church being single, but I'm going to fix all that. I, I, I got a girl picked out for you. I, I can see Hosea getting excited right now. I, I, I'm, if I'm Hosea, I'm like, well, what's her name? God says her name is Gomer. Now, at this point, I ain't excited anymore because I ain't met a fine Gomer (laughs) in my life. Sorry if that's your name. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Well, God, what does she do? You ready, Hosea? Chapter 1. She's a prostitute. I'm Jose. I'm like, no, no way, God. That's, that's just too strange. Can you imagine my installation service, God? Me and this girl walking down the aisle and, and, and the prophet with the prostitute, the, the, the man of God with the woman of the night. No, no, God, that is too strange. 
And God says, Hosea, if you think that's strange, I got a stranger one for you. The fact that I, a holy God, would stoop so low as to walk with you is an even stranger sight. What does it look like to live this thing called the gospel out? What does it look like to, in the middle of the meritocracy, in the middle of the kingdom of this world that says you are only valued for utilitarian purposes, to to be kingdom of heaven people who rage against the machine? What does it look like to walk in this thing called gospel love? Our passage tells us that if it ain't strange, if it never gets weird in your relationships, you ain't living the gospel. Ah, can I go here? My youngest son is a baller. Boy can ball. He got his first college recruiting letter as an eighth grader. You couldn't tell that boy nothing, man. He, boy, can ball. Around my house, we call him RP, retirement plan. <laughs> boy can ball, boy can ball. He, uh, when we lived in New York City, he made a couple all-city teams, and then we, we move out not to the left coast, the best coast, and when we move out to the best coast, uh, there, he gets picked up on one of the, the, uh, the best teams there in the Bay. And uh, first tournament, we drive from San Jose up north to San Francisco. My son's the two guard. We're sitting there in the stands watching my son's team play. And we're sitting next to the point guards, two moms, a lesbian couple. Uh. And they're just doing what couples do. And my wife and I get to know them, and we enter into dialogue with them, and we exchange numbers, and the tournament ends, and we hop into our car, and we get on the 280 South, driving from San Francisco down to San Jose, where our home is. And my wife and I turn to each other, and in so many ways, we kind of wonder aloud, what if God's calling us not to change them? Because we can't even change ourselves. But what if he's calling us to love them? So we invite them over to the house, and we lay the dinner out, man, and they come over to the house, and uh, we're sitting there having good food, good conversation, and they're holding hands, and I grew up in Atlanta in the 70s and 80s. This is all so new to me, and, uh, but you know, we're just kind of settling in, and we're hearing their story and hearing what they do and find out that they're atheists, and uh, the whole time I'm going, please don't ask me what I do for a living, and... <laughs> And, you know, and all the, and they don't ask me that evening, and they, they come over some more and some more, and, and this relationship is building, and finally, right at the end of fall season, they say, hey, Brian, we've been hanging out for a while, man. We've never asked you, man. What do you do for a living? I said, well, I'm a pastor. I have the joy of leading God's people and telling people where to find true meaning, value, and significance in life through God's only son, Jesus Christ. 
Immediately, one of them gets up from the table and grabs her purse and mutters under her breath, didn't see that coming. And I want to say to her, and y'all call us judgmental, but as a pastor, you can't say everything you're thinking. So I I keep my mouth shut. I I crack a joke, diffuse the situation. She comes back and we begin to stitch the relationship back together. A couple months later, spring season starts. They call me on the phone. They said, hey, Brian, we've been hanging out for a while. You know, our son is getting to the point now. He's 13 years of age. He's not really hearing us anymore. He needs a positive male role model in his life. So we want you to know we got out of the lease in our home a half hour away from you. We just entered into a lease in a home around the corner from you because we think you need to be the man to speak life in our son's heart. And in the same conversation, she goes, oh, and, and, and just to celebrate, we're having a bunch of friends over. W- would you come over and do one of those house blessing things? <laughs> I'm like, as in talk to God? <laughs> you got it. So after service, we rush over there. And from the looks of it, me and our family are the only heterosexual people in the joint. It's just wall to wall, our friends in the gay community. God bless my youngest son, can't whisper to save his life. (laughs) We're sitting there on the sofa, man, and it's just, you know, it's weird. And he goes, are you uncomfortable? (laughs) And it's strange. And I pray over the rooms and I, I ask God's blessings for the gospel to make its way in. The whole time someone's taking a picture of us, man, and the next day I'm at at the office and my wife hits me up on a text. She says, they done tagged us on Facebook, man. And (laughs) a couple hours later, this dear, sweet, 80-something-year-old woman at our church, one of the mothers, she calls me up. She goes, Pastor, I was on Facebook. I'm like, oh gosh, I know where this is going. And she says, her words, not mine, is my pastor partying with homosexuals? She says, because the Jesus I know wouldn't do it. Now, there's a verse in the Bible I hate. If I could just cut out one verse, it would be this one. Do not rebuke an older person. (laughs) There's some seasoned saints who need to be rebuked. I said, Mother, you might want to read upon Jesus again. Because the Jesus I know went to some strange places. A couple months later, we, after one of the tournaments, we, my wife and I had been talking about this, we, we go up to, to our friends and we said, hey, look, big ask. We're about to go on vacation. We're going to go to New York City, take the whole family. We've, we've rented a spot there. And then we're going to go down to a Christian camp. Um, just outside of Atlanta. We'd love to bring your son with us. Uh, we know it's a huge ass. We'll pay for everything, though. Y'all need to think about it for a while. I said, we don't even need to think about it. He can go with you. We have a great time in New York. Eat good food. Go to this Christian camp. Last night at camp, this young man, the point guard, says, hey, Pastor Loritz, I'd love to talk with you. It's about 10 o'clock at night. We're walking down a lighted path. He goes, I- I've just been seeing you and how you've been leading your family and loving your boys. And you know, I don't get that from my dad. And I've been hearing you talk about Jesus. Uh, can you show me how to become a follower of Jesus. 
And on that lighted path, he prayed to receive Christ. We get back, and about a week later, one of the moms calls me. She goes, I don't know what happened on that trip. <laughs> but my boy's been back carrying a big Bible saying, we need Jesus. I've got to work on his evangelism techniques here. <laughs> she says, actually, my wife and I are facing some things, and we'd love to come to church with you. She goes, I just need to know, is your church a safe place? I says, as long as I'm the pastor, there it is. So if you come to my church on any given Sunday, you're liable to see the senior pastor and his wife sitting next to this gay couple hearing the gospel. Strange. How strange are your relationships? If people are still primarily coming to church out of relationships with each other, then sanctuaries reflect dinner tables. So this is going to be a place of strangeness where people are gathering together who don't, who don't look like one another, vote, vote like one another, act like one another. But what draws them together is this peculiar thing of the gospel. The problem with the body of Christ is that our relationships are far too typical. Of course that's the Fox News Church. Of course that's the MSNBC Church. Of course that's the CNN Church. Of course that's the black church, the white church. For God is showing us where the gospel is intentionally practiced and preached. The Gomers and the Hoseas, the prophets and the prostitutes gathered together. But I don't know when it happened, but it happened. By the time we come to chapter 3, this marriage is on life support. We can, we can read between the lines and tell that, that Gomer bears some culpability here. Verse 1 of chapter 3, God says, listen, I need you to go again. Here is Hosea. If I'm Hosea, I'm going to say to God, okay, God, she cheated on me. The text says she is an adulteress. She cheated on me. Let me remind you what your word says. I actually have the right to divorce her. Uh, let me just exercise my rights. I'm out. I'm moonwalking away from this relationship. Deuces, I'm done. God then shows up and says, wait a minute, Hosea, remember this marriage ain't about your marriage. It is about mirroring to the world the depths of my love for all of humanity. And if every time you sinned, I do to you what you, do, what you want to do to her, you wouldn't have made it out the first day. So I need you to do to her what I do to you moment by moment throughout every day of your life. I need you to go again and go again and go again 
and go again. I can just stop right here and just meddle a little bit. Who have you stopped speaking to? Who have you cut off? Who are you praising God for caller ID for? (laughs) This passage in Matthew 18 teaches us an unforgiving Christian is an oxymoron. Who do you need to go again with? Chapter 3 modern parlance, Gomer has gotten herself sex trafficked. The going rate to emancipate a woman in Gomer's position, to emancipate her was 30 shekels of silver. But verse 2, after God tells him to go again, look at what Hosea says, so I bought her not for 30 shekels, but for 15 shekels of silver, of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. Scholars tell us that the reason why it goes into such detail and doesn't say, I bought her for 30 shekels, is because he didn't have 30 shekels. I can see him checking under his bed and maybe in between the cushions of his sofa, scraping up all the coins he could get was only 15 shekels going to the auctioneer saying, listen, that's my wife. I got to go get her. All I've got is 15 shekels. The auctioneer says, not enough. And then they're just kind of bartering back. Well, what if I add a homer to? Well, I'll take a homer and a lethic on top of the 15 shekels. Watch it now. To emancipate the one who cheated on him cost him everything he had. Dear friend, don't you see, if you ain't paying a price, it ain't love. But isn't that our problem? Our problem is we want Nordstrom quality community at thrift store prices. You must understand the very nature of gospelized love is to be inconvenienced. It is to pay a cost. Now watch the flow of the text as we land the plane. He gets connected to her. She cheats at infinite cost to himself, he redeems her. And then look at what he says in verse 3. He then tells her, you must not play the whore. Love has a standard. A standardless love is tolerance. Tolerance is such a low ethic. I tolerate you. Thanks. (laughs) So going back to our our friends in the gay community, as we've just been getting to know them, one of them is running for state congress, and she wanted to stick a sign in my yard. I said, well, what's your platform? And 
She says, I'm, I'm into women's reproductive health. She happens to be African-American. I says, an African-American? You're okay with abortion? I says, I'm going to bring up Jesus. You ever heard of a woman named Margaret Sanger? Margaret Sanger wanted to get rid of black people. We had this amazing conversation. Then a couple weeks later, her and her wife said to me, hey, Brian, we've been hanging out for a while. We would love if you would do our vow renewal ceremony. I'm like, oh, you know I love you, right? We've been having a good time and hanging out. and Everything's been cool, and I'm hemming and hawing, but I can't. Because my standard isn't your happiness. It's the word of God. I love their response. Oh, you're being a little bit dramatic. We figured you couldn't do it. You know, technically, I've been preaching this all wrong to you. This text is not ultimately about our relationships with one another. It's ultimately about how God relates to us. Dear friends, don't you see that we are Gomer? We're the ones prone to wander, filled with sin bent on doing things our own way, stepping into covenant with God, cheating on him repetitively. And what does God do in this strange relationship? He goes again, and he goes again, and he goes again, and he goes again. And what did God do for us on the cross? On the cross, Jesus Christ paid his 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. Some of you are here today, and I promise you're here under the sound of my voice. You don't know Christ as Lord and Savior. And maybe you're a very good person, a very moral person, or maybe you're a very lettered person. You've got PhDs and all kinds of letters behind your name. Maybe, maybe your GPA is phenomenal. Maybe you live in that perfect zip code. Maybe all of that stuff. But you need to know when it comes to the economy of God, that means nothing. It's like every Friday night's game night in our house, and I love to dominate my family in Monopoly. I love to dominate them in Monopoly. But at no point at the end of Monopoly do I take that stack of money and go to Bank of America. Why? Because while Monopoly money has value within the kingdom of Monopoly, it means nothing within the kingdom of, of Bank of America. Your degrees may mean something. Your looks may mean something. Your accomplishments may mean something in the kingdom of this world. But in the kingdom of God, it's but rubbish. But please notice something here. Notice Hosea doesn't give the standard and then emancipate her. He doesn't say, don't play the whore, and if you don't play the whore, I'll set you free. Had he done that, he would have made her emancipation conditional upon her compliance. But instead, he redeems her first and then gives the standard. Why? So that her duty and compliance would be in the category of want to, not have to. Don't you see this is the gospel when God comes to Israel 
In Egypt, he doesn't say, look, you're incarcerated to Egypt, you're enslaved to Egypt, do these 10 things on these stone tablets, the 10 commandments. If I like your performance, then I'll open the Red Sea. No, he opens the Red Sea first and then gives them the law. Why? So that their obedience would be in the category of delight and not duty. Or hear Romans 2, 4. It is God's kindness that leads to our repentance. It is not our repentance that leads to God's kindness. Oh, dear Gomer, which is all of us, if you have not said yes to Jesus, friends, the good news of the gospel is God sees you as is accepts you as is, loves you as is, saves you as is, and yet by his grace never leaves you as is. Freedom and new life await you. I fly home tomorrow, actually to LA, I got board meetings, fun. I've already looked at my Delta app, praise the Lord, I got the upgrade. I'm diamond status with Delta, which means I fly way too much. But diamond status is great because what it pretty much means is if there's an empty seat in first class, I have a really good chance at getting it. And while I love diamond status, I've had to learn the hard way that it's not really good to get the upgrade to first class when traveling with your wife who has no status and is back in coach. So what I'm learning to do when I travel with my wife, because of my status, I'll get the upgrade, but I'll sit down next to her and coach, which means I'm in someone else's seat. Now that person whose seat I'm sitting in will start barking at me, you're sitting in my seat, but I'll shut them up real quick by giving them my first class ticket. Now watch it, I haven't lost my status. I'm still diamond. I just refuse to use my status for my own selfish means. Friends, that's what Jesus Christ did. He was in the first class section of the universe called heaven, saw we sinners languishing in the coach section called earth, headed for an eternity in hell, came out of first class, took on flesh, dwelt among us, died on the cross for us so that we could get the upgrade with him to new life. That's the gospel. So I want to pray. I want to pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, right now, as this community has been fasting, I believe your spirit is saturating this place today and the other campuses as well. I believe, Father, that there is someone here today who under the sound of my voice is for the first time in their life coming to terms with their Gomer. And they have not said yes to you. Maybe they've tried to fill what Blaise Pascal calls this hole in our soul with, with the things of this life. Money with relationships, achievement, success, whatever it may be. And as the band U2 sang years ago, they still haven't found what they're looking for. Oh, dear friend, if you're here today and you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, 
He offers to you free of charge a relationship with Him through His Son, Jesus Christ, who at infinite cost to Himself paid the price you should have but did not have the resources to pay. And He saves you not by your moral strivings, but He saves you by His abundant grace. And as J.D. Greer says, the gospel is not just the diving board. This grace doesn't just get you started. It's the swimming pool. It's the daily waters we swim in. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, and you're understanding this gospel, and I tell you, I just sense it right now by the power of the Spirit of God, you just feel compelled to say yes to Jesus. Would you slip your hand in the air? Yes, 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 yes. I'm going to pray a prayer, and a lot has been made over, over the issue of prayer and inviting Jesus into our hearts. And yes, I want you to pray this prayer, but that's just the starting line. The way that you know that this relationship is authentic is you're going to experience some new desires. As Ezekiel says, you're going to get a new heart. And God's going to give you a new paradigm for living. But if you raise your hands, would you just say this prayer with me? Dear God, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. Thank you that Jesus lived the life I could not have lived and died the death I should have died. I invite you to come into my life now by the person of your Holy Spirit. I confess my sin. Make me new. Cleanse me. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.